You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. The show's available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts like Spotify, Google Podcasts, Himalaya, Apple Podcasts, whatever your heart desires. Or you can just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings and you won't have to lift a finger. And today there's a whole bunch of stuff that I want to get to. So I'm going to start with some very strange rumors. There has been, for the last week or so, a rumor coming out of San Francisco that they're interested in Tom Brady in free agency, which is obviously very strange. They have Jimmy Garoppolo, and he's under contract for three more years. So even if they did think that Tom Brady was a better short-term option than Jimmy Garoppolo, and I think even that's debatable, they would have no solution at the quarterback position in the long term after Tom Brady retires, which could be at the end of the 2020 season for all they know. So a one-year stopgap with Tom Brady would be a very strange thing to pursue at the cost of Jimmy Garoppolo and trading him away or whatever. And so San Francisco media kind of poked around this and found out that the real plan for Kyle Shanahan was to attempt to reunite with Kirk Cousins. Shanahan has been enamored with Cousins ever since they spent time together back in Washington, and reuniting with Cousins has always been a part of Shanahan's overall quarterback plan. So trading away Garoppolo and moving on to Tom Brady would be a stopgap option while they waited for Cousins' contract to expire here in Minnesota at the end of the 2020 season. This also spurred a little bit of trade discussion, mostly reckless speculation, but... It's currently very unlikely that anything like that happens, if only because Kirk Cousins has a no-trade clause in his contract that he would personally have to waive. It's also fairly likely that the Vikings just extend Kirk Cousins in the spring or summer, thus dashing the hopes of a Kyle Shanahan or anybody else that was planning to pursue Kirk Cousins in the 2021 offseason. It's more likely that these rumors are born of Tom Brady and Jimmy Garoppolo's agent, who is the same person, trying to kick up some bluster to help Tom Brady's price inflate in the free agent market of 2020, but it's still worth keeping an eye on because it does create some interesting hypotheticals. Also on Tuesday, the compensatory draft picks for the 2020 draft were announced, and the Vikings were awarded three compensatory draft picks. It was expected that they would get three picks, a fourth rounder, a seventh rounder, and another seventh rounder. It was actually better than that. The Vikings were awarded the 105th pick as compensation for losing Sheldon Richardson to free agency last year, and the two seventh round picks... Number 249 and number 253 were awarded to the Vikings for losing Tom Compton and Nick Easton to free agency, respectively. This brings the Vikings up to a total haul of 10 draft picks, which is a mark that Rick Spielman has often talked about as a goal of his going into the draft. The Vikings also were involved with two other compensatory free agent, uh, Trevor Simeon, who signed with the Jets, did count toward the formula, but was canceled out in terms of the Vikings haul by the Vikings signing Shamar Steffen, who counted for a sixth round pick for the Seattle Seahawks. The Vikings will likely continue to get a steady stream of compensatory draft picks, depending, of course, on how this year's free agency period goes, with Mackenzie Alexander, Trey Waynes, Anthony Harris, and potentially even Everson Griffin hitting the market as compensatory free agents, the Vikings could haul in even more draft picks next year. Okay, so how does literally all of this work? 
I'm going to spend a bunch of time on today's show talking about the compensatory formula, explaining how it works, explaining this kind of strategy that is centered around the compensatory formula, and I also I asked you all for some hot takes, some burning, scorching hot opinions about the Vikings. I'm going to get to that later in the show as well, but first I actually want to circle back to the San Francisco thing. There was a, a lot of interesting uh, rumor and conjecture coming out of some fairly reputable places in the San Francisco market, and I think that it's worth kind of diving into why a a player-for-player trade for Cousins and Garoppolo is difficult to consider and difficult to construct something that's realistic, but also just take a quick moment to consider it on its merits. You know, if this was possible, would we even want to do it? So it's difficult to imagine the Vikings agreeing to do anything with San Francisco that doesn't, uh, that leaves them without a quarterback solution. Obviously, if they're going to trade Kirk Cousins away, and of course, Kirk Cousins has a no trade clause, uh, but if, say, he were to waive it for whatever reason and they were to trade Cousins away, they would want a solution at the quarterback position, position to come back, either a draft pick, probably in the top five, or a, uh, a, a, quarterback that they can go start. So it would probably have to mean Jimmy Garoppolo coming back because the 49ers don't have that draft pick. But then, of course, Kirk Cousins would have to waive his trade clause, which is super unlikely. Kirk Cousins, for Kirk Cousins, is in a great spot. He's in the scheme that fits him. He's got two elite wide receivers. He's got two good tight ends. He has a fully guaranteed contract. He has everything he could possibly want, and he's about to go into a negotiation with the Vikings and make a crap load more, and the Vikings are really, really happy with him. He is in a great spot and probably has absolutely no desire to, to rock that boat by going back with Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. The only way I could see him waiving that no-trade clause would be if he thinks that the negotiations for an extension with San Francisco would go better for him than the ones with Minnesota. And I do think that there is a potential for that because, of course, in the situation where the 49ers went through all this to try and get Kirk Cousins they would be pretty much writing Kirk Cousins a blank check. They wouldn't have any negotiating power at all, and Cousins could really just bend him over the table. And perhaps the if, if Kirk Cousins thinks that there is an option to go to San Francisco and make even more money, that could also throw a wrench in extension negotiations with the Minnesota Vikings, although that would probably require the 49ers to flirt with some uh, band tampering practices, and so I doubt that those conversations would get real enough for them to have any material effect on Kirk Cousins. All in all, this is all definitely blustering, right? Tom Brady and Jimmy Garoppolo have the same agent, and all of this blustering and conjecture is is essentially trying to drive up Tom Brady's price, saying, yeah, 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 the 49ers are really actually interested in him, and this is why it actually makes sense, even though that doesn't make sense on the surface, and you're going to have to pay a lot more if you want Tom Brady, the Titans or whoever. So I wouldn't pay it any more stock, though it is fun to consider for just a moment. So uh, coming up, I'm going to talk more about the compensatory formula, and then we will get into some of your burning, scalding hot takes. We're going to scorch some earth today, folks. Can't wait. Coming right up. Alright, so how does the compensatory formula work? So if you're completely unfamiliar with the entire idea of compensatory picks, essentially they are part of the free agency process where the league awards extra draft picks to teams that lost a lot of free agents, and it has a bunch of restrictions and a really complicated formula that decides exactly who gets what. So I'm going to try my best to explain it to you, but I should mention that it is a tightly kept formula. It's all a secret. Nobody actually knows for sure what counts for what and where the calculations come from. We All we know is who got awarded what picks for what players, and then we just kind of have to reverse engineer it from there. Uh, Nick Cordy at overthecap.com. He works for them, and he's done quite a bit of work reverse engineering all this stuff and figuring out who gets what, and he uh, projects it every year, and he's pretty darn good at it. So I'm going to do my best here to explain the process of how this gets decided. So it starts 
by determining who exactly is a compensatory free agent. And what that means is somebody who qualifies for this compensatory pick formula. And it's not just every free agent. If somebody is cut to save cap space in the middle of their contract, they don't count toward this formula. So for example, this year, if the Vikings cut, say, Xavier Rhodes to save cap space and somebody else signs him to a mega deal, the Vikings won't get squat. These deals also have to be over a certain threshold, like, I don't know, seven hundred, nine hundred thousand dollars a year. That's one of the things we don't actually know exactly, but we know that, hey, if you know, if you're signing small guys for the veteran minimum, they're not gonna count toward this kind of thing. So that leaves you with this big pile of uh, compensatory free agents, and then you have to figure out who's gonna get what draft picks for them. So first you have to look at who has lost what. And specifically, if any of this cancels out, for the Vikings this year, for example, they lost Trevor Simeon, but they signed Shamar Steffen. So those two were of similar enough value that they actually canceled out and they were taken off the list entirely, for the Vikings at least. And also, no team can have more than four compensatory picks in a season. So everybody's fifth, sixth, seventh, if they, you know, let a bunch of free agents go, the Patriots do that all the time, then those also get thrown out of the formula. And if you still have more than 32 players left, the amount of compensatory picks awarded always has to be exactly 32. And if there's more, then you order them by average value and some other adjustments we'll get into uh, in a second. And then you throw out the lowest uh, contracts until you have 32 remaining. If you have less than 32 left after all of that, then you build out extra compensatory picks by looking at teams who lost and gained the same amount of, of free agents. So, you know, they, uh, they say somebody loses three free agents for a total of $10 million more than they signed free agents for, then you can take that difference. And even though it's not wrapped up in any single player, you can take that difference and like pretend it was a player basically. And so you would get a compensatory pick based on if you got, you know, if you had like $10 million uh, worth of free agent leave out the door. And this usually ends up being some of the lower picks anyways. That rarely comes up, especially in this day and age. You have such a high-profile free agency period, and a lot of guys are going to sign for qualifying uh, compensatory free agent contracts, so that part rarely comes up. Okay, so once you've got, you know, the 32 people that are going to count toward uh, awarding a compensatory pick, you have to figure out what order they go in and who actually gets awarded what round of a pick. And this is another part that is like really difficult to project and they don't quite have it down to an exact science, but it has mostly to do with the average annual value of the contract they signed. For example, Sheldon Richardson signed a contract with the Browns. I believe the average value uh, across the three years of that contract was $12.5 million, and that's that's that 12 and a half million uh, qualified for, I want to say like the seventh or eighth biggest contract of free agency that year. And so the Vikings got a third round pick for it. That qualified for the highest possible compensatory pick, which is a third rounder. There are some other parts of contracts that don't count toward this, like incentives and workout bonuses and roster bonuses and stuff actually don't count toward that number. Uh, and there's some other factors as well that adjust things. How many snaps you play over the course of your first season. Uh, so, you know, Sheldon Richardson or like Tier Matt, Matthew, right? He was the highest compensatory free agent. He played 98% of snaps and he got an all pro nod. Uh, postseason honors do tend to affect this as well. So once you've applied all of those adjustments, they'll be ordered. And then uh, there are cutoffs for what a third round pick is, what a fourth round pick is, fifth, sixth, and seventh. And then they get doled out accordingly. 
and there's a lot more complications and nuances and stuff that you don't have to concern yourself with. There's special cases where maybe they'll give out a 33rd one or some other weird stuff. Don't worry about any of that stuff, but know that that's generally how it works. If you have a player whose contract expires and then they go and sign a mega deal, you're going to get a compensatory pick. The Vikings are probably going to get a couple more next year with Anthony Harris and Mackenzie Alexander and Trey Waynes and maybe an Everson Griffin and all these guys leaving. They're probably going get, to get plenty of compensatory picks to help replenish things as, uh, you know, their players start to leave due to cap issues. But there's also some strategy around that happening, and, and the Ravens and Patriots are particularly good at this. They're two of the, you know, better run organizations in the league, and this is no exception. For example, the Patriots will often trade for a player instead of going after one in free agency so that all of the players that uh, they had their contracts expire and they went off to free agency, like it won't disrupt their compensatory formula. And they really do factor it into the cost. And I think that's the way to approach this. You're not necessarily creating a roster with the sole purpose of maximizing compensatory picks, right? It's like at the best a third rounder and that's only ever going to change the calculus so much, but it does change the calculus. For example, and I've mentioned this before, Anthony Harris is going to cost, call it $14 million a year to re-sign. But if you think about him as costing $14 million a year and a 2021 third round pick that you would get as a compensatory pick to re-sign, that's a different deal. And that probably isn't the difference. You probably have your mind made up one way or another, but in other cases, it could be the difference. Like with Mackenzie Alexander, would you let Mackenzie Alexander walk for a fifth round pick? Would you trade Trey Waynes for a fourth round pick? These are all things that could definitely happen with the Vikings. And so they're just a, a change in the way you have to consider these things. And, and just another factor that goes into the cost-benefit analysis of keeping a player, re-signing a player, or going after a player in free agency. It also helps when a player is cut for cap space, like uh, Linval Joseph or Xavier Rhodes, or like we talked about like Brian Winters yesterday, that might happen with him, then it helps that player because teams are going to be more willing to pay a contract to a player that got cut for cap space, and they're not risking a compensatory pick to do so. It does like change their calculus a little bit that way. And it's a slight advantage. It's not a huge one, but it's something that might inflate their cost just a little bit and be the difference between them or somebody else getting selected or the difference between them getting, you know, a million dollar contract or a $1.2 million contract. It's all part of a, a sliding spectrum and scale of uh, dollar amounts and value and, and all of this cost benefit stuff that goes into making the whole roster puzzle work in the first place. And for the Vikings, getting three extra picks is great, right? Rick Spielman has his 10 picks now. Uh, that's all fodder to trade up. That could technically get the Vikings up 10 spots. If you want to go draft one of the big offensive tackles, that compensatory pick could be the key to doing so. Or if you want to try to trade up for a quarterback or something wild like that, sure is easier now that you have an extra third round pick. That's a non-zero asset that you can use to completely like reconstruct your draft strategy. It's also great because uh, Nick Cordy actually thought that Sheldon Richardson would count for a fourth round pick, and now that he counts for a third round pick, uh, that's a welcome surprise. It's, again, the most difficult thing to project, uh, so uh, he does a great job there, uh, and it's just, it's very nice that the Vikings get a better pick than we thought. So that's the best I can do uh, in explaining how the compensatory formula works. If I got something wrong, I'm really sorry, uh, but for now, I'm going to move on to your scorching hot takes. I can't wait. We're going to start that stuff in just one second. All right, I've got about 10 minutes left on this podcast, and I am going to dedicate the rest of it to your scorching hot takes. I asked on Twitter for you to send me your burning earth hot Vikings 
opinions. You could reply out loud. You could have DM'd me privately. I'm not going to say who these takes are from because I'm not interested in like flaming people for their takes. But what I am interested in is looking at some of these bolder opinions and seeing if there is anything of value to take. You know, a lot of things that end up being common knowledge start out as burning hot takes. Let's see if we can't get ahead of that curve, but I'll probably end up doing a lot of debunking here and engaging with some really funny stuff. And really, this is just for fun. So everybody relax and let's chat a little bit about some hot Vikings takes. So there are a lot of themes that I got here. So I'm only going to uh, respond to a couple of things like once. And if you had a take that you sent me that was in the same vein, uh, think of this as one big group. So the first one like that is somebody said, I'd rather draft a solid O-line in the first round and have Holton Hill and Hughes starting at corner than draft one in the first and continue ignoring the O-line. I imagine draft a cornerback and not and ignore the O-line. So a couple things with this. For one, drafting a cornerback in the first round is not ignoring offensive line. That's exactly what they did in 2018, and they got an offensive lineman in the second round who's currently the best guy on the entire offensive line. There are more rounds to the draft than one, and you can, especially in this draft, there are absolutely going to be second and maybe even third round tackles that are worth the Vikings' time. So I don't think drafting somebody like Jeff Gladney in the first round means that they're ignoring O-line. The second one is, I guess, a little bit more of a matter of opinion of, oh, I'd rather, you know, prioritize offensive line over cornerback. And there were a ton of takes like this that were, well, you know, somebody said the exact opposite. Man, we have to get a cornerback. Screw offensive line. You can win without one. They're going to do a bunch of rollouts anyways. Just get the secondary shored up. A couple of people said, I'd rather have a defensive end or a defensive tackle than O-line or cornerback and a bunch of variations of that. And what I'll say to respond to all of those things is that teams typically aren't in that kind of dichotomy. Listen, it can be a a tiebreaker, right? If you're looking at a wide receiver and a running back, and you think they're both about as good as their jobs, most teams are going to take the wide receiver just because of the positional value there. But you're very rarely in a situation where you're exactly undecided the same in your evaluations on uh, one guy or another that was on your board. Most of the time, you're going to have a guy that you're higher on than the rest of them. And typically, at least in my philosophy, is don't let positional value scare you away from taking the best player you can get your hands on. Because over time, eventually, all of the positions are going to come to you. And if you draft responsibly and hit on enough picks, you're going to be able to figure that out. I think it's fine as a tiebreaker. I think similarly to compensatory, it's part of the calculus, right? It's part of the formula, but it shouldn't be the entirety of the formula. And it shouldn't even really be that significant of a part of the formula. Moving on, somebody said cornerback isn't even a top four need on this team. Fix it in free agency and move along. So the fact that cornerback isn't a top four need is kind of insane, uh, unless this is another one where like, I'm okay with Holton Hill and Mike Hughes being the starting cornerbacks and, you know, go get a slot corner in free agency. If you're high enough on those two guys to do it, then sure. Uh, But I mean, you're losing all of your starting cornerbacks if you cut Xavier Rhodes for cap space, which most people are in favor of. You're losing literally your entire starting cornerback room. So yeah, I'd say it's probably need to start replacing those guys. Uh, On the complete other end of the spectrum, somebody said, Xavier Rhodes will be an all-pro in 2020. I'm here for it, dude. Let's do it. Uh, Somebody said, Drew Samia becomes an all-pro at right guard. Also, all here for it. Let's do it. Listen, guys change from year to year, especially at, uh, you know, more reactive positions like cornerback and and offensive line, you know, guys that are trying to prevent things from happening. A lot of that stuff fluctuates a ton year to year. So sure, you could totally see a bounce back from Xavier Rhodes. I wouldn't be surprised if the Vikings hung on to Xavier Rhodes banking on that very probability. Uh, 
somebody else said, and this is another one that I'm going to kind of uh, wrap up a ton of takes. There were a lot of Mike Zimmer ceiling takes, uh, but somebody said the Saints playoff win will be the crowning achievement of the Zimmer Spielman era. And I think this is hilarious because they did not specify which Saints playoff win. And the one from 2019, which I'm going to guess is what they were talking about, isn't even the best Saints playoff win. Obviously, the 2017 one is way cooler. You could argue the 2019 one was a greater accomplishment from a coaching perspective because the Saints were so much more of a, of a favorite in that game, but in, if you're going to lump Rick Spielman into it, you should probably give him more credit for the season when they had a better team, and that was probably 2017, where they were the two seed instead of the six seed. But there were a lot of, like, Mike Zimmer has a ceiling kind of takes, and he'll never win, or, or they'll never get past the second round of the playoffs, or, you know, he's going to be fired, or he's too stubborn, and a lot of stuff like this. And, and I guess my main response to those would be... If you can win one playoff game, you can win a different playoff game, and you might be able to rattle off a couple in a row. There are only ever a couple teams in the league who would like ever do that it, by the nature of a single elimination uh, bracket. You know, you're going to have 11 teams who had a pretty good season and got to the playoffs, but ultimately ended in disappointment. And I mean, think about a situation where there's two perfect teams, right? Two teams that, that you know, prioritize everything the way you think they should. They coach everything right. They use analytics right. They use it. They do everything right and say two teams do that, which is outside of the realm of possibility, right? And then they play each other in the playoffs. Somebody's going to have a disappointing season, even though they did everything right. So I wouldn't uh, put too much stock in that kind of ceiling. I don't think coaches have ceilings. I think single elimination playoff formats create ceilings. I'm actually going to uh, link an old chart party from John Boyce at SB Nation. He talks about the March Madness brackets and how it's a loser factory and how you have, you know, 64 teams and only one of them can win and, how, and, and like just how many losers that creates. And I'll link that in the show notes just to give you some perspective. It's obviously a smaller scale, but I think the same principles apply. Uh, somebody said if it wasn't for Kirk Cousins' guaranteed contract, Zimmer would convince Spielman to offer Teddy a five-year contract worth $30 million a year. Absolutely, 100% agree. Moving on. Uh, somebody said bring in Colin Kaepernick as a backup quarterback. I think the ship has sailed with him, man. I, I really wish it weren't that way because I do think that, I mean, listen, there are guys like Matt Moore still getting jobs in the NFL, you know, guys out there like Nick Mullins and whatever, you know, random Washington State third string undrafted free agent guy that barely sneaks onto a practice squad. All these guys are getting jobs and, uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick is left out on the street. If it is true that he's asking for prohibitive contract money, then that's a different thing. But he's also been out of the NFL for three years. That ship has sailed. That said, in uh, a hypothetical world where that ship hasn't sailed, yeah, sure, I'm all for it. I think he'd be a, a great backup, if not a, a starting caliber guy. You know, if you ignore the three years out of football and assume he just comes back the way he left off, I think he's probably like a bottom half starter in the league. And that's better than a lot of teams can do. And that's great if that's your backup quarterback. Uh, somebody said Teddy getting hurt was one of the best things to happen to the Vikings in the long run. That one is spicy because I think that did a ton of irreparable damage to the, the machine that Zimmer and Spielman were building. They had their quarterback that they believed in and that they were going to move forward with. Now, if you thought that Teddy was going to completely fall apart in 2016 and bust out of the league and you'd have like Matt Castle, or I don't even remember who the backup was that year. Oh, it was Sean Hill, of course. Uh, if you, you know, if you thought Sean Hill would be starting by week seven because Teddy was that bad, you'd be spectacularly wrong, but then at least that take would make a little bit of sense. But that caused the Vikings to have to trade away a first rounder to go get a quarterback that they didn't end even end up keeping. They didn't even get a compensatory pick for him because the uh, Cardinals ended up shutting him down too early in that season. 
I think if they had that first round pick, they probably wouldn't have uh, spent it on a quarterback, right? Because they probably would still have Teddy in a world where they still have that first round pick. And I think if you go look at the draft order and where the Vikings would have picked, which is 14th, the Eagles took Derek Barnett. They were never going to take an edge rusher there. I think they would have taken Malik Hooker. And I think Anthony Harris never breaks out and he goes and breaks out somewhere else. But then the Vikings would have Malik Hooker. And of course, you know, that worked out pretty great for the Colts. I think that's who they would have picked with that particular selection. You could also make an argument that, hey, maybe they would have like traded up the second rounder and, and gone for Patrick Mahomes or something like that. And if you really want to go into crazy hypotheticals, but most of the hypotheticals where Teddy doesn't get hurt are better for the Vikings. So I don't think you can construct that argument unless you really, really were down on Teddy Bridgewater. Somebody said the Vikings will trade for Trent Williams. I don't think that that is going to happen. I would love it. I think Trent Williams is a good enough player. And the fact that he held out for an entire year doesn't really bother me that much. But Washington probably wants draft picks. And because of... Uh, uh, Trent Williams's contract situation, the Vikings would probably have to trade veterans. They'd probably have to trade Riley Reef and somebody else who uh, saves the Vikings a significant amount of money because the contract swap of Reef and Trent Williams uh, costs the Vikings quite a bit because of signing bonus acceleration and a bunch of dead money stuff. So you would have to trade veterans to Washington and Washington is kind of in a rebuild. They're going to want draft picks. If they do trade Trent Williams away, they're going to do it to somebody who's willing to offer draft picks and who can just absorb the contract of Trent Williams without having to like make a bunch of cap room to do it. Somebody said we should do anything to get a top three tackle in this draft. I assume they're talking about offensive tackle. Uh, and so it, obviously the hot part of this take is when they say anything, right? If you trade your whole draft up to, you know, pick six to go get like Andrew Thomas, that's probably not worth it. But the idea that they should like totally prioritize offensive tackle and really, really shore this up, I, I don't hate that idea. I, I actually think that the idea of being really, really aggressive about getting one of these blue chip tackles, you know, there's four or five of them in this class is actually pretty amicable to me. I'm totally down if the Vikings trade up. I actually think this is one of the worst drafts for them to trade back. They should either pick where they are or try to trade up for one of these like big time offensive tackles that probably won't make it past like the 15th or 16th pick. On the other hand, Riley Reef is average and he can get away with average at the offensive line position. And so if, you know, you're going to give up a whole bunch of resources and, you know, not rebuild the secondary or, uh, you know, not get like maybe a guard, not rebuild the interior of the defensive line, which is why the Vikings lost that playoff game in the first place. I don't know if those costs are worth it to improve from average to elite at the left tackle position, uh, but I do like the idea of if somebody's slipping down the board and you see an opportunity, go pounce, go get your guys. On the total flip side, somebody said, move O'Neal to left tackle and start Udo is the best move. Now, I've been kind of resistant to moving uh, Brian O'Neal to left tackle, and I assume this also means kicking Riley Reef inside to guard, and then you don't have to acquire any more offensive tackles. For one, we have no idea how good Ole Udo is. I love his prospects. I really liked the way he played in that Week 17 game uh, where, where he actually did get to, to come off the bench, and I like his chances to become a starter, but he still came in so raw, and I think there's still uh, too many problems for him to just like come in and immediately be a starter and switching Brian O'Neill back over to the left side. He played left tackle in college. He moved over to the right side for the Vikings. That switch went fine. Switching him back, that can kind of compound the effect. You have to relearn a bunch of habits and it's almost like relearning the whole language of the left side over again. And you're kind of undoing a lot of the progress that Brian O'Neill has made. Remember, he came into the league really raw too, and he had a lot that he had to learn and making him go back through that process is a bit of a step back. So there are costs to this, though that might still be the best move. I actually 
actually don't hate that idea either of just saying, listen, offensive line, we're going to figure it out with the guys we have on the roster. We're going to spend every other resource we have on other needs and fixing all the other stuff that is wrong with the Vikings roster. I think there might be merit to that. I, I think if any of these are giving me an idea that I can actually like take home and do something with, it might be this one. Somebody said, if the Vikings survive this offseason and don't blow up the roster too much, they will have a dynasty for the next 10 years. Love it. Let's go. Uh, But I I think the problem with this one is that if they don't blow up the roster too much, the next 10 years are in a lot of question because they have so many veterans and, and, you know, what they should do is line up successors for all of these guys, right? Go get a raw tackle to be the eventual successor to uh, Riley Reef. You know, if you're going to keep Xavier Rhodes, then go get a corner that can be his successor later. Go get your next nose tackle although they might have him in Ar- Armin Watts already. And if that's a take about being really high on the depth of the Vikings, then absolutely, let's go. I, I love your attitude. Uh, but I-, I think that they have a lot of work to do before they're set up for the foreseeable future. And that's what these next couple off seasons are going to be about. Uh, somebody said, Alexander Madison is as good as Dalvin Cook, and it shows why we should never sign a running back to a second contract. It will always suffice to have a mid-round picks on rookie deals. Uh, so I, I think I agree with the philosophy there that mid-round picks on rookie deals are totally fine, and I would even say late-round picks on rookie deals are totally fine. There is a huge glut of running backs that are, co- this particular class isn't as good, but there's a lot of running backs that come in through high school, because in high school, running back matters a lot more than in the NFL. And so the kid with the most athletic talent usually gets the running back position in high school, especially in in states like Alabama and Texas, where football is is, is this huge deal. And the running back tends to kind of be the superstar, or sometimes they are made into like these wildcat, like mobile quarterbacks. And they get into college and they can still kind of romp over lesser humans because some people just, you know, haven't grown up and, uh, you know, grown up enough to, to tackle some of these like crazy athletes. But then you get into the NFL where everybody's just as good as everybody. And that's when you get all the effects of running backs not really mattering. Uh, So I think that you can totally get late round picks that totally work for this. I disagree pretty strongly with Alexander Madison is as good as Dalvin Cook. I think Dalvin Cook does some things that Alexander Madison can't replicate, but we might just be okay with that. So I have, I have a bunch of really fun Diggs and Thielen ones. Uh, so I'll just go with a lot of people said trade Thielen uh, and I'll have to wrap it up there because I'm running out of time. Unfortunately, I've got so many more digs I want to get to. But a lot of people had variants of trade Adam Thielen for draft picks in the clear cap space. There's kind of the same problem with Stefan Diggs with him uh, where you don't actually save that much because he has so many years left on his contract. He just signed a big extension and there's a lot of signing bonus that would accelerate. It wouldn't help you much in 2020. It would help you uh, quite a bit in future years. And so it would be one of those things you're only doing if you're like tanking, right? And the Vikings aren't going to do that. We've been over that uh, last week. So I am way over time, but that was fun. I'm okay with it. So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Locked on Vikings. We crammed a lot in today. Hopefully uh, news is going to start trickling in here as the CBA gets a little bit closer to being reality and teams are a little more comfortable making their moves. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can find the show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts or just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. And hey, if you want more draft content, go check out Locked on NFL Draft. You can just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On NFL Draft and keep the Locked On content coming. I will see you all tomorrow, and as always, Skull.